0: Thank you very much. Appreciate it, orchestra. Take your Bible, turn to Romans 15. We're continuing our series if you need an outline. I think Kyle has a few in the back. Does anyone need an outline for tonight? We might have a couple who need it. Raise your hand nice and high so they see it. Romans chapter 15, finishing up this chapter today, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper after uh, the message tonight. I um, included on your outline the first couple points there. Uh, from last time, we got through the first 13 verses um, as we talked about God's hope for the world, and by way of review, as I've been reviewing every single uh, time we've gathered together, I've spent some time in review, and I think it's important in the book of Romans to understand uh, the, the flow of thought, and um, as we do that, why don't we go to God in prayer, and then we will dive into His Word, okay? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge it gives us and for the hope it gives us when we face uncertainty. I pray your blessings on everyone as we look into your word. May we have open heart, open eyes, and as we learn from you, I pray that we would embrace one another and encourage one another and exhort one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. Bless now this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 15 takes us all the way, Romans 1 through 11, as we talked to the doctrine portion of Romans, all about the gospel. Romans 1, 17, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek or to the Gentile. It goes from there to the need for the gospel in Romans 1 and 2 and 3, with the sin being the big problem. We all have, we all have sin. All have sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans three, twenty-three. And if, if, you, if you understand sin, you then become uh, wrapped in concern for how do I handle this sin? What do I do with this sin? How do I get rid of this sin? How is this sin paid for? Well, Romans 4 and 5 tell us about how God provided Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity coming, uh, God in the flesh, to die for our sins so that through faith in Him we can have redemption, we can have forgiveness. And Romans 4 and 5 talk about that. Romans 6 through 8 talk about uh, practical Christian living, aspects of being united with Christ. Romans 6 is of identity with Christ, being united and, and, and understood as our being united with Him means that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We are now slaves of righteousness leading to holiness, and our, our lives should be holy because of, of this uh, identity of being united with Jesus. And chapter 7, though, tells us how it's difficult. Even though we are united with Christ, the practical day-to-day life of being a Christian is hard. The things we don't want to do, we do. The things we do want to do, we don't do. A wretched man that I am, he says, right? Chapter 8 gives us hope. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. As a Christian, if you are a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And because the Spirit of God dwells in you, amen, we have victory and we are united with Christ. We have this promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or famine or, or sword, peril or sword, he says uh, all these things, can, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if that's the case, then why Israel? What happened to Israel? Why, why did Israel reject Christ if, if this is the case? And so he walks through the fact that Israel, though elect um, some of the, them who are of Israel were not truly of Israel. In fact, he talks about the fact that in chapter 10 that there is a need for a personal salvation, that you cannot just be be swept up into salvation because of your family or because of your biology. You need to trust Christ. He says in Romans ten thirteen that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It, it applies to every single person, individual. And uh, God's not done with Israel. Chapter 11, he says that is has, has God rejected His people, Israel, certainly not. God has a plan for Israel. We see that play through the rest of Scripture. And then he dives into chapter 12. And look at chapter 12 with just one second. I want to look at this verse one more time. Chapter 12, verse 1, this is going to come into play today as well as we look at chapter 15. <coughs> chapter 12 and verse 1 sets the stage for the rest of this book. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And a lot of people, I think rightly so, have connected the word mercies there to refer back to the past 11 or, or 10 chapters there, the mercies of God, these doctrines of God, these, these gifts of God. Because of these things, you should present your bodies a living sacrifice. There is, there is language here of sacrifice and of worship and of ritual. It's almost like a priest offering a sacrifice in the Old Testament. There's ritual here. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, and this sacrifice is to be holy. The word holy means set apart, very important word. It means set apart and special for God. It doesn't mean well, surrounded by light. It, do, it means set apart. holy, and acceptable to God. We're acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. He says, which is your reasonable service. And that word reasonable service is is logicon, so reasonable, and then service has the idea of worship. Again, it's connected to this idea of, of ritual worship, of sacrificial worship, of Old Testament sacrifice. Now, we don't sacrifice animals. We sacrifice ourselves. We give ourselves to God. We, we sacrifice ourselves on the altar. And so in, with that in mind, I want you to go back to chapter 15 because in chapter 12, he talks about dealing with people in the church, dealing with people who are uh, be doing evil to you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not exact vengeance on each other. Chapter 13, dealing with government and how to deal with those who have authority over you. And then chapter 14, the, the, the distinctions between people in the church, the stronger and the weaker brother, how they are to live together if the Jew and the Gentile are going to fellowship with each other. How does that work? And then, chapter 15, finally, we get to the hope, the gospel as the hope for the world, the God of hope who gives us hope. Look with me, if you would, at um, verses 14. Uh, verse 14 here. We will see that Gentiles are also, this is the first blank you have here Gentiles are also made the people of God. This is a very important point he makes that Gentiles also become the people of God. That just because they're, they're not Jews first does not mean they're not God's people. And let's look at this passage. He says, no, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. Now, who is he speaking of when he says you? Who's the you? The brethren. The believers where? In Rome, right? It's Romans. So he's writing to believers in Rome, and he's writing to these believers. He says, I'm, I'm confident concerning you, Um and this is like, um, he says, uh, hold on, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. One second. Oh, confident. yes. He, his confidence he has towards these children of God in the church of God, these believers, he's convinced, he's confident, he's convinced that you also are, look at this description, you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now, I have a question for you. Has Paul ever met these Roman people? No. We know from passages, in we're going to get to one in a second, but in Romans 1, verse 10 through 15, he says, if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. He desires to come and see them. He hasn't met them yet. So how is he able to say this, that I am convinced that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another? How can he have this confidence in their spiritual abilities. And and I think it's possible that he's heard about them. He's possible he's heard about their reputation. That's definitely uh, possible. But I think also they have the same spirit that he has. And I believe these are base level abilities for Christians. If you look at this, he says they are full of goodness. That is, they are mature in the faith. They are filled with the good things of God. They are filled with knowledge, knowing about God. They know all they need to know You have all you need to know. You don't have, there's no additional knowledge you need. You're full of all knowledge. You don't need to go to special revelation in special places. You have all the knowledge you need. But look at this last phrase. This is fascinating. What is the church capable of doing? They are able to do what? Able, there's your blank. Able to admonish, able to admonish one another. The church is equipped, is able to admonish or rebuke or encourage, come alongside, or literally to counsel one another. The word nuthateo here is a word that biblical counselors use often to describe the work they do in what's called biblical counseling or nuthetic counseling of using the Bible to exhort and encourage one another. And this is where this word comes from. We're able to admonish one another. We are capable of doing so. The word admonish means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of improper course of conduct. In other words, to warn someone, to instruct someone. It has much more of a negative connotation than a positive connotation. It's, to admonish someone is much more of stop doing that than good job, you're doing well. Okay, so he says you are able to admonish each other. You are capable of doing this and then he says this in verse 15 he says that they are um nevertheless brethren i have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by god that i might be a minister of jesus christ look at this who is he a minister to jesus jesus of jesus christ to to the gentiles the gentiles the non-jews those who had previously not been considered the people of God. He says, I might be a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that purpose, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this. The word minister here, there's a couple words in our Bible for minister. Sometimes it's used as a servant, someone who serves, someone who does menial task. This word minister is not that word. This has a picture of one who does religious duties like a priest who does religious ordinances. It's the same root word. Remember Romans chapter 12 when he says, your reasonable service? It is your reasonable worship. Some, some uh, Bible translations say your reasonable act of worship. That word, worship or service, is in the same root as this word minister. He says, look, I am a minister of Jesus Christ. I am, a, I am a servant of Christ in a religious sense to the Gentiles, and I'm ministering, I am acting as a priest. I'm doing the work of offering sacrifices to God in a sense for the Gentiles for the gospel of God, ministering the gospel of God for the Gentiles, so that the offering of the Gentiles, again, we're talking about offering, we're talking about sacrifice, the offering of the Gentiles, what are they offering? Animals? No, they're not offering animals. What are they offering? Their own bodies. They're offering themselves. They're they're, they're turning into disciples he says, I, the, the, I am ministering, I am working like a priest, like a go-between. So in the Old Testament, the priest would be there so the people could worship God. He would offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And Paul says, I'm like that priest who's here helping the Gentiles. I, I'm connecting the Gentiles to God. I am preaching the gospel to the Gentiles so these, these people who used to be estranged now can come to Christ. And, and this is amazing. He says, I'm ministering the gospel to them that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. Same word as earlier, right? That that your worship might be acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, holy and acceptable to God, that God receives your worship. God doesn't receive all worship. We'll talk about that in a minute. But their worship would be acceptable. And look at this next word. What is the next word here? I underlined it already. Sanctified. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, The minister of the gospel, this is your blank here, a minister of the gospel to sanctified Gentiles. A minister of the gospel to sanctified Gentiles. This is a really important important thought. As you look at this text here, he says that the Gentiles have been made holy by the Holy Spirit. That they are made holy by God that God sets them apart and makes them sanctified. The word sanctified means to make holy, to make holy. So these Jewish, these Gentile people are made holy, and holiness is a very important theme. Let's look at some themes of holiness in the book of Romans, and I have all the, all the verses there on your outline, themes of holiness in Romans. I'm going to put them up on the screen. You don't have to turn in your Bible, but feel free to if you'd like to check my work. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. He describes the Holy Spirit as a Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Romans 1.17. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be what? What does the word saints mean? Holy ones. And who are the saints? We are the saints, right? We're not talking about Mother Teresa. We're not talking about St. Thomas Aquinas. We're talking about us. We're talking about people who are saved. We are saints. If you keep going, he says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God, which has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God who is given to us, God's Holy Spirit. And because we are saved, what happens to us? He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members, your body parts, as slaves of righteousness for the purpose of holiness. You are to be a holy person. You're to submit your body as a slave to God so you might accomplish holiness, is kind of what he's saying. There's the end goal is holiness. Romans 6.22, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. In other words, the end result of submitting yourself to God, being a slave to God, is that you are holy. You can become holy in your actions. And the Holy Spirit promises to make intercession for whom? For the, for the saints, according to the will of God. The saints here apply to both Jews and Gentiles. Gentile saints, Jewish saints. The same Holy Spirit is interceding for everyone. Okay? There's no division. There's not a a Holy Spirit just for the Jews and a Holy Spirit just for the Gentiles. The same Holy Spirit is is interceding for all the saints according to the will of God. And then even in Romans 12, 13, he says, our responsibility is to distribute to the needs of the saints, not the needs of the Jewish saints or the needs of the Gentile saints, but the needs of the saints. So, holiness becomes a real theme in the book of, of Romans, But if you look back even further, let's talk about what holiness and what worship and holiness are connected to as it relates to offerings and holiness in the Bible. Just think about this. What is a good example of an offering and holiness in the Bible? These are just off the top of my head. Number one, Cain. Cain gave an offering of the field instead of from the flock, Genesis 4. How did God respond to this offering? He rejected it. I think Eric preached a message on this. It must have been 10 years ago now it's close to it. But, but uh, the, the offering he gave was not according to God's will, it was according to his what he could produce. So not all offerings are acceptable. Um, in Exodus chapter 32, while Moses is up on Mount Sinai, the nation of Israel worshiped a golden calf in the wilderness. Now you might say to yourself, we're not talking about idols here, Um, But if you look at what the Bible says, when they produced the golden calf, what did they say? What did Aaron say? He said, this is your God. O. And, and in some translations say, these be your gods, O Israel. The word God there is Elohim. It's the same word that is translated God normally, but it's, it's, a, it's called a plural of majesty that sometimes can be used for gods, but it's a singular here. He says, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. He's looking at the golden calf and he's actually saying, worship God by worshiping this golden calf. He's not trying to draw them away from a different God. He's saying, worship the true God, but worship him through a golden and calf. It's false worship. It's not. It's not. He's not worshiping a false idol, as in a false god. He's worshiping. All the people are worshiping the true god. They're just worshiping a true god the wrong way. And how does God respond to this kind of worship? As He say, oh, it's no big deal. Just you know." No, it's very severe. Right. Very severe. God severely deals with these people for their for for, for actually making an image. That, that makes God into, their, into an image of their liking. They, the biggest issue with this is they craft God into their liking. They make God to be someone who serves them. Because a bull, you think about it in the Old Old Testament times, a bull is a sign of strength and of power and of, and of um, uh, prosperity. We even call them bull markets today, right? A bull market is a market that is doing well. And a bull has to be connected with prosperity. And they can plow your field. They can produce uh, lots of food. They can do all kinds of things. And so that's what they did. They said, this, is, this be your gods. And so false worship. That's not a, not a false god, a false worship. Uh, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10 offer profane fire or strange fire before the Lord. And God deals with them. There, there are... Many other examples of unholy worship that God, that God rejects. In fact, the whole book of Leviticus is a book about holiness. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord your God. That's out of Leviticus. God calls us to be holy. But what's amazing is in Romans 12:1, as we said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What's the next word? Holy. God cr- makes the sacrifice holy holy. When you present your body to God, you're presenting a holy sacrifice. You're not presenting a strange fire. You're not presenting a bad sacrifice. When you present your body to God, it is holy and acceptable to Him, and that is your reasonable service. Um, Let's keep going. Verse 17 talks here about Christ being glorified by the obedience of of the Gentiles. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed to make the Gentiles obedient. So, in case you're looking for it, there's your blank. Some of you people really like blanks. I know that. And you get really upset if I don't like, if I don't show you where it is. So, there it is. You got it? Okay. <laughs> Now, this verse is a little bit hard to understand in the New King James. I'm not, I I think it's a really kind of awkward uh, reading of this. So I I found another translation. Um, That is not what I looked for. Where did it go? I think I just put it in my notes here. Romans 15, 18. Do I have that? I'm sorry. I thought I had that on my screen. I don't. I'm going to read it to you. In the ESV, it says, um, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. In other words, I, he says, I will not dare to speak of all those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. In other words, I'm not going to talk about anything except what Christ has done through me. What Christ has done is he's brought the Gentiles to obedience, and this has brought glory to God, the Gentiles being obedient. And that's why I put this verse up there, Romans 1.5. This has been a theme throughout the book of Romans. He says, the purpose of preaching the gospel, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. We want people, nations, to be brought into obedience of Christ. And so that's all Paul is saying. I have the opportunity, I have the blessing in verse 18. I have been able to see the Gentiles come to obedience. And this was done through signs and wonders in verse 19. And mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So what is Paul's, Paul's goal in preaching? What is Paul's goal in preaching? He says, and so I have made it my aim, my goal, my ambition to preach the gospel. That word is evangelize. It's to preach the good news. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And these who have not heard shall understand. He's, um, he's saying, I don't want to preach where Christ is already named because I don't want to build on someone else's uh, foundation. I want to have my own. I want to start fresh and I want them to understand the truth. And this is quoting a couple verses out of Isaiah, Isaiah 52, uh, speaking a prophecy here about Christ. So shall he sprinkle many nations Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall uh, consider. And then Isaiah 65, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Um, As we go back here, nope, let's keep going. Verse 22, for this reason I have also been much hindered from coming to you. Here's another verse that deals with the fact Paul had not yet come to Rome when he is, he is writing to them. He wants to come to them. He says in verse 23, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. When he says this, be helped on my way there by you, he's saying, I would like some support some financial support to make it the rest of the journey. If first, I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. Um, He he says here um, um, that his goal was to travel there. He had a gift. If you look at verse 27, 26 and 27, he talks about the gift that he had for Jerusalem. He actually talked about this in Acts, some. I think, You might remember his journey to Jerusalem to deliver um, some financial support. He says, it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia. These are uh, Gentile regions. Just notice the, the companionship of the faith here. We have these Gentile regions, Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So where, who is in Jerusalem? Jews. And who's giving to the Jews? Gentiles. Gentiles outside of Jerusalem are making gifts to Jerusalem and this is to encourage the the partnership of the faith. It pleased them indeed that they are their debtors. Why do the Gentiles feel this way about the Jews? If the Gentiles have been partakers of their what? Spiritual things. Their duty is to minister to them in? So what is he saying? He's like, I mean, it's great. He says the Gentiles are elated that Jesus was a Jew. Boy, things have changed, haven't they? In the world today, there's so much anti-Semitism, and people don't want to be around Jews. People don't like the Jewish people in large parts of the country, even our country and the world. There are people who, who reject the Jews, but in the early church, the Gentiles were excited and thankful for the Jewish people because Jesus was a Jew. The, the Jews, um, the, the Old Testament's Jewish. They understood that, and they had a sense of real gratitude in their heart that, hey, if we have the spiritual blessing of Christ we ought to bless these poor Jewish people in material things. Therefore, he said in verse 28, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, this gift, I shall go by way of you to Spain. His goal is to get all the way to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. He wants to make his way all the way there. So this is Paul's request, uh, Paul's goal in preaching. And Paul's request here in verse 30 through 32, is that they pray for him. Now I beg you, we're coming to the end of this chapter, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea and those, who, those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So who are the ones in Judea who do not believe? Who's that? Who are those people? The ones in Judea who do not believe. We heard about them in Acts. Yeah, the Jewish leadership, right? The people in the Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria is the region. So he's saying in Judea, there are people there who do not believe and they have it out for me. And we saw that at the end of Acts. You saw how people constantly having mobs against Paul, wanting to kill him. He prays, he says, please pray for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. So his first his goal his request is that they pray for him. He says I need you to pray that that everything works out as I desire it to work out. I want to be a blessing. I want to be safe. I want to be a blessing to you. And he just he says all these things now as he closes out this in verse 33. He then has a prayer for them. He says, now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And this is the closing of the main part of the book. Chapter 16 are a lot of greetings and some last-minute commands, but the bulk of the book has been closed when he says amen at the end of chapter 15 after he says these things. So, so far as we saw... The main theme of Romans, as we can just take a big picture look, is the gospel and what it means for me. The gospel and what it means for me. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Through faith and Christ alone, I can be saved. What does it do? What does it liberate us from when we realize we don't have to work our way to heaven? From the law. From, from having to constantly be on guard against others, from, from having to push others aside and climb on top of them to achieve. You know how it is in the corporate world, people constantly backstabbing each other, trying to get higher up in the, in the ranks, trying to work their way up through promotions. And why? Because if I get promoted, you don't, right? It's a zero-sum game. It is, I, I have to excel and you have to go down so I can go up. And yet yet the gospel is not a matter of, of personal, uh, um, uh, in a sense, of personal um, development. It's not a work-based thing. It is all of Christ, all of grace. So we can be so grateful, and it's not about us working our way to heaven. It's about a gift from God that totally changes how we relate to each other. Because we're all here, we're all here, invited to the same birthday party, right? We didn't earn our way here. We're all here, invited to the same um, wedding party. Maybe it's a better analogy as Jesus uses. We are invited guests. So we didn't earn our way here. We are just invited guests of the groom. And so, because we are here, we are all on the same level field, and we all have the same uh, uh, one who's gifted this gift to us. We are we are all grateful to the Lord. For his gift of salvation. So it totally transforms how we relate to each other from being competitive with each other to being uh, friends of one another to giving to one another, loving each other, and and not being afraid of the other, uh, of benefiting the other. So all of these things transform us when we understand the gospel. So the gospel, and then chapters 12 through 15, and really into chapter 16, how it relates to our lives, from our relationships in chapter 12 to our relationships with the government, to those who are stronger and weaker brothers in chapter 14, and to even including the, the Gentiles chapter 15, in their holiness being made holy by God as, as part of the church as well. Um, uh, any, any questions on this on this particular passage or on this chapter? Anything at all you'd like to bring up or have a question about? We could, we could do that for a minute or so before we go into the Lord's Supper tonight. Anything Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, Paul's prayer for the Romans. You're one of those blank people. Oh, I didn't put it on there. But Paul's, Paul's prayer for the Romans. So Paul requested that they pray for him, and then Paul prayed for the Romans. And he prayed for them that it says that God of peace be with you all. He is, he is praying a blessing on them. Yeah, thank you. Sorry about that. Yes, sir timeline, this is, this is right before he goes and gets arrested, kind of, yeah, I think it's so, yeah. I think it is right before he goes, he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think most people put that as the same Jerusalem trip. He talks about, he says, I must go to Jerusalem, and the reason he has to go to Jerusalem is he has a gift from the people that he's been visiting on his mission trip, and they have collected funds, and they're sending it. Uh, on the way, so that that is prior to his his trials for before Festus and Agrippa and Felix, yeah. When he still thinks he's going to make it, most people do not believe he made it to Spain uh, all the way, yeah. Okay, any other questions? Put me on the spot here. Yes, sir. Just praise the Lord that we are not under the law; we are under Amen. grace. Amen. Amen. This is. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the gospel, and when we, should, we should be rejoicing that God has called us to liberty, and we have that freedom uh, in Christ, that we are, we are free from the law, oh, happy condition, as one of the songs says. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. All right. Why don't we have a word of prayer? And while we do so, I'm going to have the men prepare. We have the Lord's table tonight. I have a short challenge for you as we consider the Lord's table, and we think about um, uh, the unity we have with one another, even, at this table. We all are from different backgrounds. We have different um, uh, ethnic backgrounds, different uh, family backgrounds. Even some of you have been saved, you know, for just a short amount of time. Some of you have been saved for a very long time. Uh, Yet when we come uh, to the table, we come as believers and as ones who remember and think about and contemplate the death of our Lord and what He did for us. And it is a special time. So as we go into this, let's pray. And settle our hearts, then we'll have a moment uh, of reflection, and then we will have the Lord's table uh, to follow. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you for the Book of Romans and how it teaches us about the gospel. is not just an abstract concept, not just something that we're saved and we move on with our lives, but it is the core of our religious existence, the core of our experience with you. That that through faith in you, it should change everything, how we relate to people how we relate to You, how we relate to our trials and circumstances, having the confidence of the Spirit in our heart that we can face difficulty um, knowing that we have You with us. Uh, We thank You, Lord, for this book and how it has taught us so much about the gospel and how much it has taught us how to live out the gospel. I pray that uh, even now as we contemplate Your sacrifice on the cross and the forgiveness of sin that we have and the redemption through Your blood, uh, that we would… Be grateful for that, that we would, that we would have a, a heart that is settled and 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 pondering and meditating on these things, Lord, because we know it, it honors you to remember what you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of gathering tonight. I pray as we do this that you would be honored and you would be praised. We ask all this in Jesus' name.